If you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 15. We read this text last week. We're going to read it again as we're still in the series, Maturity and Progress. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8 through 15. When you have it, I'm going to ask one more time that you would stand out of reverence for the reading of God's holy word. We're going to pray, then I'll let you be seated all over the house and you can sit as long as you desire, but you can also stand and shout as many times as you feel. I always tell folks, my Northwoods people know me, I tell people I am what they call a hollerback preacher. When I preach, the more you holler back, the better I preach. But if it gets quiet, I got to read my notes, and I went to a very low educated school, and I read slow. We could be here a while, so it would be, but who of us all? to just shout the house down this morning. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Ephesians chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 8 through 15. Wherefore he saith when he ascended up on high, he gave captive. And he gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might feel all things. And he gave some apostles, he gave some prophets and some evangelists, and he gave some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the, somebody say that with me, unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him all things, which is the head, even Christ. Will you stretch your hands for me? Pray for me as I pray for you. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you humbly this morning, thanking you for the move we've already had in this place, Lord, the worship that we've experienced, Father. But God, it is not for our own gain, it is to glorify you, who is the maker of heaven and earth. I pray this morning, God, that you would allow me to decrease, that you might increase. I pray for every man, woman, boy and girl, under the sound of my voice, that you would anoint their ears to hear, their minds to understand, and their hearts to receive what the Spirit is saying unto the church. Lord, bring back to remembrance the things you have put into my bosom, Lord God, that I may preach with clarity the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. We give you the praise in Jesus' name, and the church says, amen. You can slap two or three people as you see to tell them how good it is to see them in the house of the Lord. Amen. <clears throat> Starting this series, last week we laid a foundation, and some of it was a little bit hard. I, I'm, 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 I'm going to admit that, I understand that. But without a solid foundation, it is pointless. As a matter of fact, in that our Sunday night Bible study, Sister Candy shared some scriptures with the class. Uh, the youth came over and joined us, and she shared the scriptures uh, in Luke where it talks about the wise man who built his house on the rock. Amen. And the winds came, and the storms came, and the creeks rose, and the water rushed against it. It stood because it was built on a rock. But then it talks about the foolish man who built his house on the sand, and when the storms came, it washed out from underneath it, and it, that house fell, and great was its fall. 
it is very important that we have a solid foundation. So last week we touched on some topics that, get, that can be hard to swallow. And I told you last week, and, and I'm not going to lie to you, I do, have, I do believe in the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, one of those being the spirit of discernment. I discerned in the room when I spoke last week that there was a few people that was getting a little bit sideways with me, if you can, if you can use a little bit 2022 um, terminology. They were getting a little sideways with me. They was immediately judging the sermon or judging the series based on one topic that they heard without coming back and some of the discernment I felt aren't in the room this morning and that goes to show me that maybe uh, this maturity in progress is exactly what needs to be preached. I say that because of this, not everybody who's not here this morning, so don't be looking around thinking, well, so-and-so's not here, that must be the problem. There are some people out just because they're sick, they can't be here this morning, whatever the case may be, but I want to just share with you why it's important of this series, The Maturity in Progress. As I've spoken over the last couple of weeks, this progress will never be full. You will never fully accomplish your maturity in God until you meet Him face to face and you are in His eternal glory. Amen. But as long as you are walking in this earth and you are touched by His anointing, you are led by His Spirit, you are a son or daughter of the Most High God. But you are responsible for taking that journey to the next level, allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you into knowledge and in truth. Which tells me if the Bible says, Jesus said, I must go. If the Son of God said out of His own mouth, I must go. Because if I don't go, you can't meet the comforter. If the Son of God said, it is better for me to go so that you can meet the comforter. That tells me there's some important stuff about this Holy Spirit. If the Son of God said, I've got to go so that you can, it's better for me to go. If I stay with you, it'll be good. But it's better if I go because it's better you meet the Spirit of God. It's better you meet the Holy Spirit because I can only be with one person at one time. But the Holy Spirit can be at all places at all times. And He is going to, listen to this, He is going to teach you and He is going to lead you and He is going to guide you into all truth. Something that I've discovered is in my early generation, as well as the generations before me, the Holy Spirit movement was a very open one, if you will call it that. People wanted the Holy Spirit in revivals. People went to revivals expecting a move of the Holy Spirit. But in those services, some crazy things happened. You had folks speaking in tongues. You had some folks laying in the altar, falling out on the ground. You had some folks running pews. And for people that had not been mature in Christ enough to know the excitement that comes on a person when they, and when they receive the Holy Spirit and they operate in His gifts, for not understanding that, they began to call it crazy things. So now we've reached a, a level where we've got a bunch of millennial pastors, not all of them, but we've got a bunch of millennial pastors that they'll preach about Jesus. They're okay with that. They'll preach about Jesus all day long. And they'll preach about God the Father. But they're not preaching on the Holy Spirit. They're not preaching because they don't want to repeat what was crazy to them back then. They don't want to get somebody uncomfortable. They don't want to get somebody crazy. But how can you come to know Jesus and come to know the Father when Jesus' own words was, I must go so that the Comforter will come and comfort you. He will teach you. He will guide you unto all truth. And that is why we have shallow, ankle-deep churches that are walking around because they don't want the Holy Spirit to move. 
I had a friend of mine one time that we invited to church. We was going to invite him to church. And they, his wife said, you know, I'll come, but I'm afraid, I'm afraid to take him to church. Because last time we went to a church, they done pulled him out of the pew and told him that if he didn't speak in tongues, he wasn't saved. And I just, just want to just do that to people, you know, just want to. Tongues is not the end, end game. It is a means to the end. It is a gift of God. I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm a tongue-talking Pentecostal believer, and I'm not going to be ashamed of it. But it's not just so that I can reach tongues, and that's the thing. For, for, for years as a little boy, people didn't care how you lived your life. They didn't care if you ever prophesied. They didn't care if you ever worked a miracle. They didn't care if you ever worked a healing. They didn't care if you ever discerned. They don't even care if you ever interpret. They don't even care. And listen, that's the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit I'm just I'm going through right there. They don't care. They just say if you don't talk in tongues, you're not going to heaven. And they left people in shallow water. They left people in shallow They didn't teach them how to do a backstroke. They didn't teach them how to swim out into the deep. They didn't teach them how to be safe going into the next level or the next realm. So you've either had an extreme of people that only, only channeled in on one gift of the Holy Spirit or you've got those that refuse to write songs about him because he could cause crazy things to happen. You've got folks that refuse to preach about him because crazy things might happen. We got folks that might make people feel uncomfortable. Well, it goes back to what I've been preaching. This sanctuary should not be the soul-saving arm of the, of the ministry. This sanctuary should be a place where the perfecting of the saints takes place. And if we got to refrain from talking about the Holy Spirit to keep from offending somebody, if we got to quit from talking in tongues to keep from offending somebody, if we got to quit prophesying to keep from offending somebody or making somebody uncomfortable in our church, where is our church ever going to grow and mature? We've got to quit making the church the waiting room. We got to quit making the church the comfort zone. We got to quit making the sanctuary the green room where people eat snacks and feel comfortable. The sanctuary ought to be a place where the holy temple of God walks into these doors and each and every one of us and becomes a manifested presence of the power of a manifested spirit, which is the Holy Ghost. Amen. It is vitally important that we, as the church, make maturity an important part of our teachings. It is we, we bring people to church and we want to see them get saved and they get saved. And then we'll even talk about, man, we need some discipleship. And we teach them how to be good people. We teach them how to get spouses. And those are all good things. But you could teach somebody how to be the best person in the world. You could teach somebody how to marry the best person in the world. You could teach somebody how to be the best CEO in the world. You could tell somebody how to be the best church member in the whole world. But if you don't teach them how to mature in the spirit of God, they are going to be blocked out of the fullness of God in their life. They are not going to be able to get the fullness of God in their life because they're only going to know ankle deep. If we are ever going to become a unified body that excels in the mission that God has entrusted us with, we are going to have to be a mature body of Christ. Maturity doesn't come, doesn't happen at a trip to an altar. When people come to this altar and they get saved, that's not the end of it. That's the beginning. When they come down to this altar, they, when they get saved, they accept what Jesus did for them. 
We preach that this is a free gift of God, right? It is not by works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2 and 8. It is the free gift of God. It is, it's through faith, grace that saves us. So when they come to this altar, they accept that free gift. But guess what? They're still the same person that they was when they came to this altar. They don't leave here apostles. They don't leave here prophets. They don't leave here ministers of the gospel because they have changed their life. Their physical being was changed. Their soul was saved, but their mind is still who they used to be. That's why Romans 12 says us we must be transformed by the renewing of our mind. There has to be a process in which the mind gets renewed. There, there's people that walk every day in the churches. They've been going to church all their life, and, and they, they live by what I'm about to teach you, the word nepios in the Greek. Let me go, before I go too far, let me read this scripture, Romans 8, 14. For as many that are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit, which if I'm going to be a son of God, I've got to preach on the Spirit. If I'm going to bring people into sonship with God, I am going to have to preach on the Spirit. If I am going to disciple people, my main focus and point of attack should be getting them in line to follow the Spirit. Because this is where life happens. But the wages of sin is death. And the, the, the sin is, comes from our flesh. So if people follow after the flesh, they fall into sin. But for as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. I want to look real close at that word, sons of God. How many feel like you know what that says right there? And then listen, is that a trick question? I ain't going to call you out. You put your mind. But honestly, I will tell you, when I first read this, I thought it was pretty, pretty self-explanatory. They are the sons of God. Everybody kind of feel like you have an idea of what he says. You're a son of God. All right. Let me show you how the English language limits our understanding of Scripture. When we read this, they are the sons of God. And every one of us probably have a definition of what sons of God. They're going to be singular. But in the Greek, there are five words for our one word sons. And every one of them are a level of maturity. And I'm going to talk about the first one this morning. It's called nepios. N-E-P-I-O-S if you're taking notes. N-E-P-I-O-S. It is nepios. It is an infant, a child, a baby. Five words, and this is the first one. Infant, child, carnal, led by feelings and emotions. Now, before I can go too deep right here, let me take you to another set of scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as carnal, or as, as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes, nepios, in Christ. I have fed you with milk, not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. For you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, and ye, are ye not carnal, and walk as men. Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. He's been to Corinth on multiple occasions. 
He's done preached to them the, about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's done preached about them. He's done talked about things that are still to come. Well, Paul moves on down the road, and he does a few things, and he comes back to visit his church at Corinth. He's done come back, and every time he comes back, he comes back with a fire in his belly. Ooh, I can't wait to get to Corinth. These boys, they, I'm gonna, they, their minds are going to be blown with what God's getting ready to do. They've been in prayer. They've been fasting. They've been growing in God. They've been following the Spirit of the Lord. And when he shows up at Corinth, Boom, what does he say? I came wanting to talk to you as spiritual people, but I can't talk to you as spiritual people because you're still childlike. You're still babies in Christ. You're, I came to feed you meat, but I got to break out milk bottles. I can't take you to the next dimension. I can't take you to the next level. Many people in today's church would have said, well, Paul, that just shows what kind of preacher you are. That just goes to show what kind of leadership you got. Paul gave them, led them to the free gift of salvation. And they believed it. They're saved. But they're not growing. You know what I call these kinds of people? Nepios in the church. These are what we call carnal Christians. Carnal Christians. They've received the gift of salvation, but their minds have not been renewed. They have not, they have not changed the way they think. They have not changed the way they handle things. They have not changed the way they deal with conflict. They have not changed the way that they bring things to the table. They have, a, they have an approach that they use in the world and it still happens in the church because they've never grown and said, Spirit lead me. Lord, lead me out on the waters if you want to. Lord, lead me into the grave. Lead me into the pit. Lead me into the fire. But wherever you lead me, I will go because I know that you have provided where you lead me. It takes a lot to be a Spirit-led believer. Because you are going to have to walk in uncomfortable territories. You are going to have to give up some things that you didn't want to give up. You are going to have to change some things that you didn't see any need to change. But when it all happens and it all falls into place, you are going to look back and say, you know what, I have been blessed to be a blessing. I am the apple of God's eye. I am a child of the living God. I am a king and not a kid. Amen. I am a royalty. I am of a royal bloodline. I might not be nothing in Thomasville, but I am a lot in the kingdom of God. I might not be nothing at work, but I am a crew leader, amen, in the kingdom of God. I might not be, I may be a nobody around our streets, but up there on the golden streets, I'm considered somebody they long to get, somebody they can't wait till I get there, amen. There are times, why is it important to be spirit-led? There are times when I got saved and I got Holy Ghost baptized and I began chasing after the vision of God for my life. And my wife and I, we was pursuing ministry and we were pursuing growth and we were, we were listening to different ministers speak in our lives. We were reading and studying and we were, we were digging in and, and discovering things. And the anointing of God that came in was so quickly that it blew our minds. And it was even a prophecy giving over our lives. It's on YouTube still, as a matter of fact, where a guy preached and he called us up to the altar and he didn't know anything about us and he prophesied that God was about to snatch the curtain back on our lives. And he said, if, if I told you, you wouldn't believe it of how fast this going to happen. And in two and a half years, I was pastoring my first church. Two and a half years from the time I got saved to standing in a pulpit as lead pastor, two and a half years, I was a pastor of a church. I wasn't a good one, but I was a pastor of a church. I was still immature, but I was pastoring a church. God opened doors. 
and he made things available. I have found myself sitting in rooms I don't even know how I got invited to. I have found myself in meetings with men that I don't even stand, I don't even hold a match or a candle to their level in the, in the communities. And I have found myself invited into these rooms and into these meetings, not because of who I am, but because of who comes with me. and who comes. I do feel like, I'm going to sound a little bit boastful here, but I'm just willing to do that because the Bible says, boast in the Lord, amen. I'm going to sound a little boastful right here, but I do feel like when I walk into a room, the Holy Spirit walks into the room with me. I don't wait on him to get there. I don't have to go in there and muster him up and build him up. I don't have to get Pastor Ryan ride to sea and get Jaden on the symbols and hope that the Holy Spirit will show up. I feel like when I walk into a room, the Holy Spirit walks in with me. And the good news is, church, he'll do the same for you because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul had been to Corinth many times and is in the process of writing this letter to them. And he says that every time I come, I want to share with you what only the spirit that is renewed by God will understand. But every time I have to go back and talk to people that haven't matured and treat you like brand new Christians. That is why I, I discerned it last week when I said it. We have spent our Sunday morning services being the sole winning arm of the church, which means we lose discipleship, we lose Holy Spirit teaching, we're still telling people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people heard that last week, and I've seen it, I've seen it with my own, can't believe he just said it like it's a bad thing, about preaching the gospel. I never said it was a bad thing, but it goes to show you. A carnal mind, a nepios, a nepios, a child will always look into something worse than it is and will always think about things worse. They envy and strive and divisions is a nepios, is a child. They, they thrive in those things. They like that kind of drama. And listen, if you, are, if you find yourself, after I get through teaching this, well, I've kind of, been an, I've kind of fit into the crowd of a nepios, it's not a bad thing. This is not saying that you're going to go to hell. This whole series is to enlighten each and every one of us to do better, Chloe. Just do better, you know. We, we got we to gotta do better. We, we can always do better. How many here can honestly tell yourself, there ain't nothing I can do better because I do everything great as it is? How many of you got a husband that makes it sound like that sometimes? <laughs> I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Paul is letting them know that just because you believed in the teachings that I gave about Jesus Christ, that wasn't the end game. The, Jesus told us, told the gifts to the church. He said, I'm giving you gifts. I gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. He said, I gave you these gifts. Now go preach the kingdom of God. You can't preach the kingdom of God if every time you come to church, you got to keep telling people how to get saved. You can't get to preaching the kingdom. Of, Jesus said, I give unto you the keys of the kingdom. Oh, we'll shout when the preacher says that, especially when the music's going good. Remember what I said last week? We are living in a shallow church when our level of worship is determined by what happens on the stage. 
Our level and magnitude of God should not ha have nothing to do with what happens in here. Because what walks in that door with you ought to bring the magnitude of God that this whole community needs. And if each and every one of us come into this room with the mindset and the understanding, I am led by the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit goes, I will follow. I'm going to lift up His name. I'm going to dwell in the shadow of the Most High. I'm going to enter His gates with thanksgiving and enter His courts with praise. When you get to that place, then it doesn't matter if Josh preaches good or preaches horrible. It don't matter if the song's on key or off key. It don't matter if 17 people greet you at the door or everybody shuns you at the door. When you walk in the door and you are maturing God and you are walking in the Spirit, I walk in carrying God with me. I walk in with an anointing, and the anointing destroys the yoke. So if I walk into a church and I see a problem, guess what? I know I'm in the right place. If you walk into a church and you see a perfect one, you just messed it up. The only perfect church out there is one that don't exist. Amen. But if I walk into a church and I see a problem, I know that I have, you know how to deal with divorce. And you have an anointing that destroys yokes. There's people in here, you've dealt with abuse. You've dealt with the loss of a loved one. You've dealt with things, different things all over. And you have the anointing that destroys yokes. So when we come in, all carrying that anointing, we set an atmosphere that hell can't stand to be in the presence of. So Paul is letting them know your lack of maturity has limited you from experiencing the fullness of God and his kingdom in your present life. See, Paul never told the Corinthian church, every time I leave here, yo, oh, I'm saved. And every time I come back, you ain't saved. Paul never even told them they wasn't saved. Paul even refers to them as being in Christ. But he refers to them as bathed in Christ. And, you know, there's a lot of people in this world because of, and, and there's no nicer way to say that, pure ignorance that are okay with knowing, well, at least I'm going to make it to heaven. Why would you forfeit the fullness of God so that you can keep your carnality and hopefully get in the gate? Jesus said, I give unto you the keys of the kingdom. The organ hits and everybody rises to their feet and rejoices. The keys to the kingdom, whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And we'll preach it and we'll shout it down. If we got a tambourine, we'll shake it. If we got, you know, good solid pews bolted to the floor, we'll try to run them. But is the church really teaching people how to use the keys? For instance, if I, Sister Mary, if I give you a key right now, and I say, here's a key to a million dollars, I'm going to give it to you, and I'm just going to hand it to you, and I'm going to leave. What are you going to do to get that money? You got a key. Where are you going? You don't know where the key goes. You don't know what it's connected to. You don't know if there's another piece of the puzzle. There's so many unanswered questions. But we read it and we'll preach it. We got the keys of the kingdom. But then church, come Sunday morning, we got to talk at babies again. We're always going to have keys in our pocket that we don't know how to use if we don't teach the kingdom of God. 
The gospel of Jesus Christ will always fit into the service when the kingdom of God is being preached. Because you don't get the kingdom of God without a relationship with Jesus Christ. But the church service should not be centered around making sure you understand you're saved. Salvation should happen in the cubicle next to you, on the tractor next to you, in the car next to you, at the dentist's office, at doctor's office. In other words, Sunday morning service ain't where you invite people to come get saved. It's where you invite people to a relationship with the one that saved them because you're leading people to Christ out there. That's how the church operates. All right? But going back to Nepios, and listen, it is very, very, very important that you stay with me throughout this series. Because if you're just here today and then you miss next week and then you come back and miss the last two weeks, you're going to be lost and confused. And if you can't get here, listen, we got an online video. Check it out because it is important. I'm only giving you one of the five words. And, man, I am on fire to get to number five. It is a good one. It is one that's going to make you want to shout and run pews and talk in tongues and prophesy and everything else you can do in church with the Holy Spirit. I want to give you three keys. This, uh, this is, I'm going to close with this. Three keys. People looking around like, close with this? It's three points. You know how long that can still take. Three keys to a nepios maturity level. If you find yourself falling into this category at any point, plus mature. But I don't also don't want you to listen to this teaching and say, yeah, I know who needs to hear it. Here it is. I hope so-and-so is over there listening to this. Because if that's what you're doing, chances are you're in this level. Three things that Paul tells the Corinthian church that proves to him that they are still babies in Christ. First thing, he said, there's envy among you. What is envy? It is where you despise the blessings of God on another. How many has ever heard a Christian? Let's make this statement right here. I pay my tithes. I pray, I'm in church, I do everything I'm supposed to do, and she don't never do anything, and she's just blessed and got everything in the world, and here I am having to struggle. How many's ever heard that? The chances of you continuing to always struggle is going to stay that way. Because if we ever, if we cannot rejoice when our brothers and how can we say we're ready to see the kingdom of God advance in our life? If we can't be happy for a brother or a sister that gets blessed, whether you think they deserve it or not, I got a, I got a, I got a good point here. None of us deserve the blessings of God. None of us. So when you see somebody that you don't think deserves it and you can't be happy for the blessing on their life, you are not ready for the blessings of God to be shed over yours. Until we can get to it. The Bible says, prefer your brother. Do you want me to show you how, you know, this whole series is leading us into knowing how to enter the courtroom. I, I gave this whole teaching a couple weeks ago about heaven being a courtroom. When you walk in, you've got the accuser of the brethren. You've got the great cloud of witnesses. You've got the judge on the great right throne. You've got, you're, you're, the, you're the lawyer stepping into place. You're the one that is, that is being either prosecuted or set free, depending on how you enter the courtroom. And this, this advancement that when we go into the courtroom it's so that we know how to talk to God how we know how to pray that we don't just do monologues we do dialogues that we follow the protocol set forth in scripture of how to be prayer warriors that don't just pray but see prayers answered all right and praying 
is extremely important to growing in God. He says, when you don't, pray. When you need, pray. When you're sick, pray. Call upon the elders of the church, pray. Call upon the presbytery, pray. Pray for yourself. Lay hands on yourself. All throughout the Bible, prayer, 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 prayer. It is so important that we know how to pray. But we live in the shallow time culture that we pray based off our perception. I'm going to give you an example. I got two board members. This didn't really happen. I'm giving you an example. Two board members. We just got a $100,000 check. I'm claiming that. We just got a $100,000 check given to the church. We're sitting here with the boardroom. That's right. We're sitting in the boardroom and we say, well, brother, one of the board members speaks up and says, brother, we need a facility. We need this community center. We need something that our youth and our children can have their own space. We need something that we can offer community events. We need something that we can do more stuff in. This right here is the start of it. Then the other board member says, I love that idea, but we can't get jump too fast. We can't jump too far ahead because we vowed five years ago that we was going to pay off the debt that we already have before we accumulate more. And I think we should use this money to put towards the debt. Both of these men are good people. Both of them have a good reason for wanting what they want. So the pastor says, y'all go home and pray about it and we'll meet again tomorrow. So the board member that wanted to build the building goes home and this is what he prays because his perception. Lord, you know how good this building will be for this community. Lord, you know what we could do. You know how to look to people when they drive by and they see a construction project going on. It's going to tell them we're a church moving forward. Lord, it's going to be so good to everybody, Lord. So please help my brother understand this is what we need to do. Then the other board member goes home. He's a good man also. Lord, we don't need to live in fear by creating a bigger debt. We need to take care of the things we got now. And I believe if we'll take care of the things we got now, then we'll be able to build stuff. But we got to take care of what we have now. So, Lord, please help my brother see this is what we need to do with the money. It's a prayer based off perception. How does God answer the prayers? It's kind of like watching. How many have ever seen We Were Soldiers? When Mel Gibson goes in there and he kneels down at the altar of the church with this soldier that's getting ready to go overseas with him. He's praying, and he says, Lord, hear our prayers and ignore their heathen prayers. It's a prayer based off perception. It is a shallow prayer life. Good men have good ideas moving in a right direction, but they don't know how to pray about a conflict. So they go home and they pray against each other. So God's either going to have to say, well, I like you better than you, or you pay better ties, or you wear better suits, and blah, blah, blah. God's not going to do that. The whole purpose of us coming together is so that we come into one mind and one accord. When we go home and pray, it shouldn't be based off our perception. It should be based off of God's will. Lord, what do you want to do, Lord? Show me. I'm not worried about what my brother sees. I need to know what I need to see. I need to know what I need to change. 
There can be more than one good idea in a church service. Did you realize that? There can be more than one color paint that works for a sanctuary. There can be more than one style or one way of building something. I promise you that. And it needs to be in a unity. It needs to be unified. Listen, we're, we're talking about spiritual things. We ain't talking about the way the world does things. The world has showed us over and over and over and over and over. You do stuff that way and it gets to a point it falls apart. God has always showed us he never fails us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And he's not here for us to just have enjoyments that we get perception prayers answered, but that we see godly kingdom prayers answered. Envy is when we cannot be happy for somebody else being blessed by God. How can we be true Christians, leaders in churches, leaders in ministry movements, and not be able to Well, but I, I don't fall in that category because when, when Sister Mary and Mike and April, when they get blessed, I love it because we're Christian friends. Then cut me a piece of the pie. Yeah. But me and Sister Joyce, we got a problem with each other. And she don't deserve any blessings. Because she didn't tell me my shoes look, she told me I look fat today. She didn't really say that. She didn't really say that. I discerned it, but she didn't say it. I'm just playing. <laughs> I'm just playing. I, I say that because, yes, we understand. It's easy to rejoice when your best friends get blessed. But what happens when your enemies get blessed? Ooh, the Bible says to love your enemies. Come on, y'all, somebody knows some scripture around here. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Rejoice. The Bible tells us for the body of Christ, it don't matter if they come to Northwoods or not. It don't matter if they go down here. It don't matter if they go up there. The Bible says, somebody just look at your neighbor and say, Bible says. Bible says that you are to rejoice with those that rejoice and you are to weep with those that weep. But you are never to set yourself apart as being anything better than what is already in the body of Christ. When God told us to be a separate people, he didn't mean go in the church and be a separate people. He meant the church was supposed to be separate from the world. All right? But we've got separate people living in the church. Second thing, Nepios. He said, I come to preach to you. I want to tell you some good stuff. Man, I want to feed you with meat of the word, but here I am giving you milk again. I don't know about you. Like, I watched my little boy. He could take a bottle, and he loves that milk. He really does. And I imagine at one point in my life, I was the same way. But if you walk me into Longhorn Steakhouse, and you sit down at a table in front of me and says, Brother, don't worry. I got it covered. Let me order. Ooh, this is going to be good. And I see this big, gigantic. I'm like, whew, mine's They bring me a cup of milk and set it down in front of me. Because I, what I know now, my little boy, it won't bother him that the porterhouse is sitting in front of me. But I know what meat tastes like. I know how good it is. You ain't going to take me back to milk while you sitting here eating steak. But the, there is a culture and there is a movement 
that is slowly taking the church back to milk away from its stake. We don't want the Holy Spirit freaking people out. We don't want this. Th- Listen, these pews may never be full. These, this church may never overflow. We may never be the Thomasville church. But I'm okay with it. There is a Thomasville church. I'm not putting down a name. I'm saying we may not be the church of Thomasville. But what I'm getting at is that's not our goal. Our goal is for anybody that walks through that door, we are to perfect the saints for the work of what? The ministry. If people aren't leaving these doors with a spirit so full that says, i got to go tell somebody then we have to look back and say there's more for us to do. As the musicians get ready to make their way, I only got two more points. That was the first one. The second thing that Nephias does, he said, I want to teach you. I want to give you meat, but you want milk. And I can look at you and tell that you're not ready because there's envy among you. And then there's strife. What is strife? Strife is to be angry or in a bitter disagreement over conflict. Nepios Christians, carnal Christians, don't know how to handle conflict. They don't know how to handle conflict. And listen, there are people out there, this can be a gift and it can be a curse. There are people out there that don't mind coming up to you and saying, bro, everything you do is horrible. I don't like it. You need to fix it. You need to fix your face. You need to fix your clothes. You need to fix the way you talk to people. That's just kind of dry and cut. That's, that's one way to handle conflict. It might not be a good way. See, just because we handle conflict, just because we do it doesn't mean we do it right. Because the Bible tells us how to handle conflict. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 3, put it up there for me. It is an honor for a man to cease from strife, but every fool will be meddling. I'm going to tell you what the carnal Christian does in Josh. And it never fails. When conflict comes, the first person that rises in me is never going to be that anointed preacher man. Just wants to lay hands on the sick and just hug his enemies and, and just, you know, bless those that despitefully use him. No, the first dude that wants to get up out of bed when, when conflict comes to Josh Toomey, you can ask my wife too. I'll tell, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to just call him. We'll fix this stuff face to face. Just walking around looking like a bunch of Eeyores and a bunch of conflicted people and look like we both heading in 17 different directions. I sit down face to face. Listen, that is the worst time to sit down face to face because all you want to do is make your point known. But when, when I pray about it, God teaches us how to handle conflict. In marriage, he teaches us how to handle conflict. He teaches us in Corinthians what love is. So if we're going to handle conflict the right way, we must never get out of what the bounds of the definition of love is in 1 Corinthians 13. If we are going to handle conflict in the church, the Bible says that we are to go to our brother. And we are to handle a situation face to face. And if that doesn't resolve the conflict, then we take witnesses. If that doesn't resolve the conflict, then we take it before the whole church. That doesn't resolve the conflict, we disfellowship them. 
You mean to tell me a church can disfellowship? This is a place for the perfecting of the saints. This is not daycare. This is not where we make people feel good. This is where we perfect the saints for the work of the ministry. It isn't for people to just come in and say, well, this is a church. you got to let me do what I want. No. No. This, you don't. I'm going to tell you this, and you, you take it to the bank. You should never just let me as a pastor do what I want. If I want to take the church's money and do something stupid with it, you got the right to put a stop to it. If I want to stand up here and do things or say things or treat somebody bad or pull somebody out of a position that don't deserve it, you've got a right to meet with me and say, listen, did we take all the routes necessary? There's nothing wrong with that. I would appreciate that as a matter of fact. Nobody should be able to walk in these doors and just get to do with what they want. This is the house of God. This is the place where the working of the ministry is perfected. Amen? It is an honor for a man to cease from strife. I was, me and my wife and I watched a documentary the other day called uh, Run the River. And it's about a man named Scott who was a kayaker. And he, got, he, he was a big-time kayaker, one of his best friends. They go, they go to kayak the Colorado River. It was just going to be a normal average trip. His buddy gets pulled under a rock and never, he dies. It messed him up. But he had had a dream that he was going to go to uh, Pakistan. He was going to uh, kayak four of the biggest rivers over there that nobody had been doing. I mean, all, he wanted to do all four. And it took him 20 years. He had done all three. Some stuff happened. He ended up missing out on being able to do the fourth one. Years go by. He finds out he's got a brain tumor. He finally meets a woman that he falls in love with. And he runs into a young guy that is a kayaker. And get this guy just so happens to be Pakistani. And he offers him the opportunity to go finish his journey and hit that last river. But this boy had a rough life growing up. He lived in California. He got stabbed on the way home from school one day. His brother helped him patch it up because they didn't want to put any more stress on their parents. And for years, they never even knew their son got stabbed in a fist fight on the way home from school. They fought all every day to keep from being abused and, and, and used and all this stuff. One day, though, after his brain tumor incident, after he felt like he had lost out on his dream, after he felt like kayaking fell short, he was sitting on a rock, and in the documentary he says it. The girl that he had met told him that, listen, if we're going to work out, you've got to start getting some counseling. He said, I used to make fun of people that got counseling. He said, but I agreed to it. And he said, I realized something. I realized that all those years of being the man that was quick to fight showed everybody just how weak I really was. He said, I didn't realize how strong you had to be to not fight and to talk about a problem. I said that to say this, Proverbs 20, one of the wisest men in the world, the wisest man in the world, said that it is an honor for a man to cease from strife. The Bible says the work of the flesh is envy and strife, which tells me that Christians can still have carnal attributes. Because Paul told the Corinthians, you are bathed in Christ. He said you're in Christ, but you're babes. You've been, you've been on this journey for this long, but yet you're still a baby in Christ. But it is an honor for a man to cease from strife. When you hear the mess going on, there's always going to be people that are nepios in church. 
we could all mature to level five, the last stage, King Cooper, whatever you want to call it. We could all get that, that big level, but we're still going to be maturing even on that level. And guess what? Next Sunday, you're going to have a nepios come through the doors. And you're going to, the next four that we're going to learn, I don't want to keep giving out the names because I'm going to mess you up. You don't know them yet. These other names that are along the journey, that's okay. As we ma the maturity and progress happens, people are always coming in and we are continuing the mission of maturing them, teaching them the, the kingdom of God so that one day they will be operating in the fullness of God. It is an awesome, awesome thing. Last thing, he said, where there's envy, it makes you a baby. When there's strife among you, it makes you a baby. And when there are divisions, divisions. What is a division? It's easy. Two or more visions. The Bible says that a divided house will not stand. That goes for a marriage. A divided marriage will not stand. A church, a divided church will not stand. That is why it is so important for us to realize how important it is for us to grow in Christ, to mature in His Spirit, so that we no longer be led by our emotions and our feelings, but we be led by the Spirit. Because there's going to be days that your feelings are going to say, this would feel better, but the Spirit's going to say, do this. Your feelings are never going to tell you to go through the valley of the shadow of death. Your feelings and emotions are never going to take you into the fiery furnace. Your feelings and emotions are never going to take you to resolve conflict. Your feelings and emotion is always going to talk you out of doing what is right. What the Bible says is hard, but he gives you strength to do. But the Spirit will lead you, and no matter what the path is, he will give you strength to endure it. Will you stand all over the house this morning? An adolescent Christian because of feelings and emotions, which are both flesh components, will be easily tossed to and fro and will follow many visions, which creates division. Sometimes when the church loses its vision or the church has multiple visions, it's not because the demons are in there confusing everybody. No, sometimes it's because there's not enough mature people to stick to the vision instead of Holding to division. The vision of the church is for us to be a sanctuary that we create a congregation that are people of a Christ like mind. We will worship, we will grow, and we will serve together. That's our vision. That is the vision of Northwoods Church, it's to be a place. A sanctuary. If you don't know the definition of a sanctuary, don't just think it's a building where you have church. A sanctuary is a safe place where people are developed to have a Christ-like mind, a spirit, a mature, a maturity, where we worship, grow, serve together. You don't get the latter part if you don't complete the first part. You don't get worship, grow, and serve together if you don't have Christ-like minds. There's always going to be the revolving door ministry where people come, people go, people come, people go, people come, people go. They come for a little while, they're excited, they quit getting excited and they leave again. And there's a way of stopping that, but it takes maturing and progress. It takes handling conflict, not like mere men, but like spiritual men. Walking up to somebody saying, 
Man, everybody can feel it in the room. How are you and I not talking? Everybody can feel there's a problem in the room. And it's rooted right here. Let's talk about it. What can I do to help you? That's the mature approach. Not walking up to somebody saying, well, if you'll do this, it'll be better. There's always something somebody else can do to fix the problem, but what can I do to fix the problem? What can I do to fix the problem? What can I do to make sure you don't have to take your own vision? I'm going to share one more little clip. There's a, there's a video on YouTube of a man that, he's a pastor and he blows his top in the middle of service. And I don't agree with the way he handled any of these situations. But he got mad because somebody was sleeping in the service while he was preaching. And he called them out and made a big scene about it. And then before he can get that, he looks over here and says, And what, what about you? Ain't I supposed to marry you next week? Y'all need to start getting, y'all need to get better in church and do what you're supposed to do. Do right, whatever. If I'm going to marry you. Then he looks up there and he says, And all y'all up there in that sound booth. He said, Yeah, all y'all little young ones. Y'all run around in your little groups and y'all don't try y'all just want to build your own kingdom outside of this kingdom. And then he looks over here and he says, and, and this woman over here, that's your son. I'll talk, he's your son at home, but in here I'm gonna talk to him like I want to. Just being ugly about it. That's not how you handle conflict. But this is the question I always ask watching that video. It's easy to pick that pastor apart. But what was going on in that church that pushed that man to that level? I'm not saying he had an excuse, and I'm not saying it was okay. But how many times had he offered classes for maturity and people didn't show up? How many times did he offer unity, but everybody felt like they needed to do their own thing, and it just kept division in the church? I don't know. Maybe none of it. Maybe he was just an evil man. But I know I've seen it with my own eyes. It happened. When I was a youth pastor, I had someone appoint himself as youth director. And basically it was, it worked out, but it took work to make it work out because it was easy to see they wanted us separated from the church. They wanted us to be our own entity where my overseer was the youth director, not the pastor. Where we could make our own rules and we didn't have to follow Church of God minutes, but we're going to use Church of God facilities and Church of God money and Church of God members and Church of God children, but we're not going to follow anything the Church of God wants us to do. Division. It causes visions to die. Multiple visions causes visions to die. And if we are ever going to get to the place where we are mature in Christ, my children's ministry ain't in here. I'll tell them, it is your number one priority to create a child that is ready to move up into that next level, to be a youth member, to walk into those doors at youth and be knowing how to pray, knowing important scripture, knowing how to lead someone to Jesus. It is our youth's job to create and mold men and women that when they reach that age, that they move into the church to where they operate and they function as men of God, not carnal. My job to make sure all of us know that there are opportunities to mature in Christ. And it is each and every one of our jobs to make sure that when it's offered, we receive it. 
I want to give you just a few more scriptures. Galatians 4, verse 1. All of these scriptures I'm about to give you are nepios in the Greek. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. To be a baby in Christ means, yes, you have the possessions of a kingdom of God, but you can't do nothing with it. You are no different than a slave in the physical realm because your mind is still on their level. Galatians 4 verse 3. Even so we, when we were children, Nepias, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Do you realize you can be a Christian and still be in bondage? The Exodus teaches us that. They put the blood over the doorpost. They were saved. But they had to get out of Egypt the next morning. Or they'd have still been slaves to Egyptians. Salvation happened at the blood. But they had to get out of Egypt to be out of bondage. Even so, when we were children, babies in Christ, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. We still dealt with earthly, carnal, fleshly emotions. We still talked. We didn't change the way we talked. When you mature in Christ, your language changes. When you mature in Christ, what you can do changes. When you mature in Christ, how you live your life is going to change as you mature. That's why the question is so hard to answer between different levels of church. People ask the church, can I be a Christian and still get drunk? Can I be a Christian and do this? Can I do this? Can I go here? Can I still listen to heavy metal music? Can I still be a Christian and go to, you know, mosh pits? Can I be a Christian and still, you know, still dibble-dabble in witchcraft? Even so, when we were babies, we were in bondage to the elements of this world. But you take an overseer who was expected to be at a maturity height, the Bible will tell you there's things he cannot do. So many people ask these questions and the answers are immaturity. How mature are we in God? How mature are we in God? That is why you see churches with wine at fellowships. That is why you see churches with ashtrays at the front door. That is why you see churches. And there's nothing wrong with that. Those are accommodations for the level of maturity in which we operate. But if our goal is to get someone from Nepios all the way up to the Father's business. I'm telling you, you ain't going to want to miss number five. I'm going to try to cover two next week. It'll be a lot faster. I won't do a bigger recap. Anyway, last two scriptures, Ephesians 4, 14. That we henceforth no more nepios. This is our for the series. That we be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. There are Christians being tossed to and fro from vision to vision. And this person comes up and says, oh baby, I see a ministry in your life, but you're going to need to go over here. Immediately they drop one vision and run to the next vision. Oh baby, I feel an anointing on your life. You need to be under so-and-so. And then they drop that vision and they run to that vision. And they keep being tossed to and fro from vision to vision. And then it starts getting real bad. Now they start getting tossed from doctrine.
to doctrine where one time the Holy Ghost used to have gifts and ministering of gifts and now you're being taught that the gifts don't operate anymore and now you don't know what to believe you're being tossed that's why maturity is important I can't protect you from being tossed to and fro I can protect you from what's being preached in this church but when you go to conferences when you go to meetings when you go to other ministry events I can't protect what you're going to hear that's why you have to be mature in Christ that if somebody says something that doesn't line up with what you believe, immediately there's a discernment in your belly that says, nope, don't take that. Spit that right back out in the plate. That ain't good meat. That's molded meat. That's old meat. That's dog meat. Whatever. We want beef around here. We don't need dogs anymore. Hebrews 5, 13. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a baby. For everyone that uses milk. Again, we go back to those two board members. That's about to help make a decision on a $100,000 check. How many of you ask your five-year-old kids how to manage your money at home? Why are we doing it? I'm not saying here, but I'm saying in general. Why are we doing it with babies in Christ on how to spend the Lord's money? to do with what the Lord wants to do. Listen, it's everywhere. You are got so you got people that are so in depth their knowledge, their carnal knowledge, that they're great people, they do good things, but are they qualified to make church decisions? Spiritual decisions that's going to determine whether I get fed meat or milk. That's something to think about. As you move forward throughout the rest of your day and throughout the rest of your week and through life, who am I let speaking into my life? Just because someone has got a lot of good things going on for them in the physical realm, do they have the fruits of the Spirit just bowling out of their life? If not, they might could offer you some investment advice and it might be good. But don't let them tell you if you need to divorce your husband or not. Don't let them tell you if you need to give up on your child or not. If they ain't prayer warriors and they don't know how to take you to the foot of the cross, stop letting them speak into your life spiritual things when they're not spiritual people. Spiritual problems can't be handled by babies. The Bible says it is impossible. They are unskillful in the word of knowledge, in the word of righteousness. They can't teach you how to live right. There are people out there that are just trying to teach what you can do to still make it heaven. Well... You can still do this and go to heaven. You can still do that and go to heaven. I want somebody to tell me, what does God want me to do? I don't want to know what I can do and get away with. I want to know what does God, what does God look down and be, what would he be proud of me about? What did he die for me to be? What did he give me the keys to become? That's what I want to become. And I don't need babies telling me how to do that. I need sons of God, men of God, women of God stand in the gap and to pray without ceasing to, to stand in the gap and to pray till we all come together into a bond of peace that says no I don't care how late it is we'll come back tomorrow we ain't making a decision until, the, until there is unity in the room we ain't going to take a 50-40 vote or a 60-40 vote we ain't going to take a 45 you know 55 vote if it ain't 100%, then we ain't moving forward. Because that's I've never understood democracy in church where we vote pastors in. Israel did that too. They voted a king in. How'd that go for them? 
then God appointed a king. King David. When we let God, that when we let God in the mix, then it don't matter what Saul looks like. It don't matter what all his brothers look like. It don't matter what makes logical sense. I want to know what makes spiritual sense. I want to know what does the Spirit say to the church. When I get to Revelation and I read how everything they did, how it was messed up with carnality, it tells me that there was an immature church being led by immature Christians and making immature decisions. And now he says, I need you to go back and do your first works over. Go drink your milk again. I need you to go back and fall in love with God again. I need you to go back and do this again. I want to be the church that when God comes back, he says, my Lord, get up. You are bright. You are spotless. You are without blemish. Not because of anything you've done, Josh, but because you let my spirit mold you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to pray for us. Then I'm going to ask them to close us with worship. Father, I'm asking you right now in the name of Jesus to show me where I can mature. Show me where I can make myself a better asset to the body of Christ because I've grown, Lord. Don't let me intervene in places that I'm unskillful to do so, Lord. Don't let me get in the way, Father, of spiritual movements if I'm not mature enough to go. But, Father, mature me. Let your spirit guide me and teach me, God. I yield myself to you this morning, Lord. I yield myself to you, Father. I yield myself to you, what you have will for in my life. I yield myself to what you desire to do in this church. I yield myself to what you want to speak into each and every one of us. Lord, we yield ourselves right now. We give ourselves to you, Father, to use us as only you can. Lord, we long for your presence. We long for your word. We long for your strength. We long for your anointing, God. But we don't want to just have it, Lord. We want to dwell in it, Father. We want to dwell in it. We want to we move in it, God. We want to take it out of these walls. And we want to share it in the streets. We want to share it on our jobs. We want to go where you want us to go, Father. We bind our flesh in the name of Jesus. And we'll seek to become mature sons and daughters of God. So Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every man, woman, boy, and girl under the sound of my voice. If there be anybody here this morning, God, that doesn't know you as their Savior, I pray that right now where they're standing, they would just receive you unto themselves, Lord. They would receive the, the gift of grace, which was given through faith, Father, that they would believe that you are the Son of God, that they would believe that you died for their sins, that they would believe that you rose again, Lord, that they would believe that right now you are forgiving them and that they are saved. As they believe this and accept this, God, help us to teach them now to walk out their soul salvation. Walk out in the kingdom of God in Jesus' name. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. If you're here this morning and you just accepted Christ into your life, or you just rededicated your life because maybe you needed to renew that step, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. This is just an opportunity for you to make your confession. I'm not going to have anybody looking at you. Everybody's eyes are closed. Everybody's heads are down. But if that's you this morning and you just made that prayer and you just accepted Christ or you just renewed that step, will you just simply slip your hand up and let the Lord know, I did it, Lord. I believe it, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You can put them down. 
Father, we thank you right now that the angels in heaven are rejoicing over one lost soul that, is, that has come, Lord, to either make that step renewed again, Lord, or took that step for the first time, Lord. Regardless, Father, you have seen it. You have moved in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, we give you praise, we give you honor, and we give you glory. And the church says, amen. Now, I'm going to ask them to close us out with a worship song this morning. Will you give the Lord the highest praise you have given him this whole morning? God bless you. So good to have you. I love you. Hope to see you this Wednesday night and next week. Don't forget Bible study tonight.